You're listening to the Oil and Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 116. Mark, before we know it, we're going to be at episode 200. I know it's come, coming quickly, and you know it's um it's been it's been a great um, time so far. It's um to think that we're we're closing in on two hundred really means that you and I need to double down and actually do that darn live event that we've been. Talking I was thinking about, about that earlier today. I was like, you know what? We never got around to doing our one uh, hundredth episode. Uh, so we, celebration. we can't let two hundred passes up without doing it. <laughs> Maybe one of these days. Hey, we'll so get if you're to it. if you're yeah, and if, so if you're one of our listeners out there and you want to um, jump into this fund, uh, reach out to us. We, we're actually, I guess now, since we said it on the mic, we're now looking for a sponsor for our 200th episode where we're going to do a live event. This would put you and your company in front of our entire enormous global oil and gas audience. The other thing, Jake, that you don't know about is I have an email sitting in my inbox. It looks like you and I got invited to the Permian. Oh, nice. Yeah, I haven't caught up yet. So, but um, yep, so one of our listeners uh, heard me talk about it and they reached out to me. So I'm going to start that conversation, but we may actually go do a show live from the Permian. Are we going to do some roughnecking? Uh, you can do some roughnecking. <laughs> you know what? We could make it both our workout. Hey, why not? That I'm would sure, be kind of cool. I'm sure we could work up a sweat. Hell, are you kidding me? In this 97 <laughs> degree heat, we'll probably both end up in the hospital because we're not used to it. <laughs> Anyway, so um, so awesome uh, stuff going on, including we have our own radio station. You've heard us say it before. I'm going to say it again. You can now listen to Jake and I 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And why would you not want to listen to us 24-7? So Jake put a link in the show notes. Um, and then I want a big shout-out to our on-the-road sponsors. You know, all the travel and all the conferences we go to would not be possible without our, our on-the-road sponsors. So we have Total Land. They're the world's most advanced field land management system, literally the, the landman's virtual office. Um, and then Lee Heck Harrison. They're global experts in talent management, and they have a huge amount of business uh, in the oil and gas industry. So if you're a company that you're worrying about things like leadership, workforce transformation, uh, reach out to Lee Heck and Harrison. Um, if you have a trade association, a company event, a school, a conference, a sales and marketing meeting, whatever, and you'd like Jake and I to come talk, reach out to us. We'd love to share the details with you. And with all that said, Jake, I think it's about time to get into the news stories. All right, people. So there's not a whole lot going on in the world this week. We've got we've got a few uh, a few good articles, uh, but it took a lot of digging to get there. So let's go ahead and uh, proceed. Uh, I guess the headline news for this week is EQT has acquired Rice Energy for approximately $6.7 billion and creates a Northeast gas giant. I think they're the actual largest natural gas producer in the U.S. now. Yeah, they actually passed up Exxon with this deal. And this is a, this is a long-term, um, very strategic move by, by both companies because as the shale fields develop, scope and reach is what's going to single out the companies that are more profitable than ones that are less profitable. Now they're going to be so big, Jake, that they're going to have both scope and reach. Um, you know, they're, they're still working out the details, um, but it's, it's going to be really cool to see what happens. And I suspect that uh, what EQT, one of the things they could probably do is they could sell some of Rice's uh, holdings out in the, in the Barnett shell. Um, mm -hmm. So it's it's interesting to see how they work this together. You have to take two companies and put them together, and that always means some uh, uneasy times for the employees there. But as the prices are picking back up, you know I'm not so sure that they're going to end up doing you know much cutting anywhere because they need the people. But um, it's it's one of the things I thought was interesting is that this deal at this stage 
they're having a $255 million breakup provision, Jake. So if things don't work out, somebody's going to write a $255 million check to somebody else. That's crazy. I think it's really cool for the Rice Energy guys. I remember that when they were just uh, you know a startup EMP a few years ago. Uh, they haven't been around that long. Um, so congrats to those guys. I know I can think about half of their management team is under 30. So that's it's huge to go from from startup to a six point seven billion dollar acquisition in just a few years. You know they're they're happy as heck. Yeah. <laughs> you know this is this is your dream when you start up something like this is to be acquired, um, and and you know this is this is big. This is huge, um, and this you know I was talking to somebody the other day about this. Um, the world as a whole is moving toward a natural gas fueled world. Um, yeah. It just makes sense, and this is just another um, indicator that that that's what's going on because the companies that see what's coming down the road in the future. And I mean globally. So not just here in the U.S., I mean globally. Uh, natural gas or you know, the shipped version, liquefied natural gas, is the fuel of the future. So good stuff. Um, nice to see that rice got picked up. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, the bigger guys like the Exxon Mobiles in the world do because now they have a competitor here in the U.S. Yep. So the next article, uh, over the last decade, we've had historically low interest rates, um, but that's about to change. So what does the Fed's interest rate hike actually mean for oil prices? Oh, you're asking me? Yep, that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you, so I've heard a lot of doom and gloom. Oh, it's going to cause, um, uh, um, it's gonna cause uh, demand to go down, and then we have interest and oversupply, and we have a low crude price market again, and I don't see that at all. What it is, is that the U.S. dollar is the currency of choice for oil and gas globally. Anywhere in the world where oil and gas is bought, sold, or traded, people prefer to do it in dollars. Now, some countries won't let you do that. They make it a law. You have to use their local currency. But even in those countries, as quickly as you can, the companies that have that local currency convert it back to U.S. dollars. So with interest rates going up, that means... Uh, the prices that people will pay for oil and gas globally is going to go up. Um, but that really doesn't make a hill of beans difference, Jake, because the oil and gas industry is still a large global market that's run by market forces. So our, our market, our oil and gas market is starting to return to where it should be to balance, right? Where supply and demand keep pace with each other. One's not ahead of the other. And honestly, no matter what the Fed does, it's not going to change that. Um, it may increase the cost a little bit it may actually decrease the cost a little bit um, but it's not going to trigger another low crude price environment like we just went through these last few years so nobody's got anything to worry about right nobody has anything to worry about um the the, the one thing is if you're a um if you're a company and you have some investment dollars from the u.s and you're doing oil and gas work somewhere outside the u.s this may make the cost of your project a little bit more expensive which means that if you have a project that's borderline profitable it may not happen but you know jake th that happens with, with everything right anything that's a commodity you have those type of low margin deals that you know something changed and all of a sudden it just doesn't make sense so once again it's, it didn't it didn't change anything it, it may affect some of those projects but in the grand scheme of things it's, it's not gonna make any big deal and the next article is talking about how a $200,000 well could drastically change the oil industry. Obviously, that sounds crazy. Um, so it, it kind of dives into, you know, what are the average well costs in different um, basins? Uh, Permian Basin, you're looking between 5 to 9.3 million. Uh, in the Marcella, 6.1. Bakken, 5.9. Eagle Forge, 6.5. So it's talking about the different technological advances and how we can actually drive down the cost of you know, how much it actually costs to drill a well uh, and also maintain the well and how some of these smaller operators, or I guess they call mini producers in the article, uh, will be able to market crude more profitably um, and create more competition for the larger operators. 
Yeah, and so what's cool about this, if, if you read the article, and, this, and people, you should go read this article. You really should. You know, you and I have been talking for a very long time about technology and oil and gas. And I've been saying for, for a very long time that their uh, companies in Silicon Valley are going to become the next, some of them become the next oil and gas companies. And in the middle of this article, they're talking about how if just a single Silicon Valley tech company figures out how to harness the software and the hardware advances that are out there and create a very efficient well for a few hundred thousand dollars, it's going to be a game changer. And I think it's going to happen. Um, I, you know, everything from automation and completions to the big data analytics around the geoscience, you know, we have, um, we have rigs out there that are so fast and are so smart and so much horsepower uh, and, and we're getting there. And there's, you and I both know this there. I've never seen so many companies, so many startup and small, small companies from a technological point of view that are looking to make money in oil and gas. So when you have that many smart people working on this problem, it's going to get fixed. Um, and if, and if you, if you look at what's going on in the shell plays in the U S Yes, there's some big producers out there. I mean, some very large companies, but most of it's produced by small independents. Small independents are very nimble in the way they adapt new processes and new technology. So uh, we've talked about this for a long time. We see it coming. We think it's going to happen. And here's you know, a really good article on oil price saying that they see the same thing. So Oxy has done a $1.2 billion Permian lamb swap, which consolidates their position uh, there in the Permian. So Oxy is the Permian Basin's largest operator currently. Um, and so, uh, just looking over this, it says that they sold off assets uh, worth $600 million, um, and then also pur- purchased, uh, EOR interest for $600 million. So it's a pretty much one for one swap. Um, but the deal added 3,500 barrels of oil equivalent to Oxy's production, um, in what the company calls a pretty effective swap. Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing about this, Jake, is it not, they're not just swapping land, not just swapping access to oil and gas. So what they did is they actually picked up some processing and pipeline interests, which now means they're controlling part of their infrastructure, right? Their transportation costs. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very smooth mood because once you can lock that in, then you can actually operate at a lower price and still make money. Um, and then once again, as you expand that, as you control more and more of bringing that to market where you own that infrastructure, um, it just lowers your cost. And so the, the, the ability for Oxy to grow and to make money at $50 a barrel has just been increased. And, and they're good at it already. So um, good article. Um, something very smart that Oxy did. Um, they're actually a really great company. We, Jake, we have, I bet we have, a, I don't know, 20 or 30 people from Oxy that listen to our show. Um, and and they're, they're always appreciative when we talk about how great their company is because it is a great company. Um, so anyway, um, the other thing is it could be real interesting what happens with, with Hess. So Hess walked away from this deal, right? So why would Hess walk away from something like this? Well, they didn't think it was as good a deal. And Hess is a great company as well. So um, let's keep our eye on this. We'll see where this thing goes. But I think it's a smooth move by Oxy. So Shell is building the Falcon Ethane Pipeline, uh, which is going to employ 1,000 workers across the region uh, when construction starts in 2019. So we always like to talk about, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom, especially in the news lately. Um, but anytime there's jobs being added uh, into the industry, we like to kind of shine a light on that. That's so cool that you picked this article because we just talked about this in the last article. So here's Shell, Royal Dutch Shell, 
building the infrastructure, the pipeline that will deliver the raw feedstock, the natural gas, to their ethylene cracker, Mm -hmm. which then means Shell controls that cost, which means that they can produce ethylene uh, cheaper than other people can. Um, So, yeah, this is a whole bunch of jobs being created. And, Jake, this is out like in in, uh, uh, Pennsylvania, right, a place where, you know, uh, traditionally – these type of jobs were not real common, you know. So this is bringing prosperity to a part of the U.S. that could use it. Um, the other thing that they don't talk about in this article, and it's something that, that we see coming, is that part of the U.S., Shell is building the first big ethylene cracker out there. Well, to build the ethylene cracker and also to build this pipeline, you need a workforce. And the workforce is there. Um, what happens, though, Jake, is they get experience so they get experience at building ethylene crackers they get experience at building pipelines which means they get better at it which means it gets cheaper which means another company can come in with the workforce that's sitting there and build another ethylene cracker cheaper than shell did because you have an experienced workforce and so on and so on i really think that pennsylvania in 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 our in the very near future is going to be a huge ethylene producer because they have the raw feedstock it's right there they have access to ports all over the world um, and so I think this is almost like a domino effect. Once this first ethylene cracker gets built and stood up, that experienced workforce that's sitting there is going to allow other companies to come in and also yeah. um, take advantage of this. Definitely. So the next article, it wouldn't be oil and gas this week unless we talk about at least one bias article. Uh, I don't want to get, it's really long, it's really lengthy. I suggest people actually go out and read it themselves, um, but maybe we can give them a quick spark notes. Um, it's from a publication called Clean Technica, which is very, very pro-renewable uh, energy, which is fantastic, but it seems like it's a little bit anti-oil and gas, kind of based on the verbiage of the article. Um, so it starts off saying sh- the writer took an article um, that was called What Happens When the Oil Economy Collapses, uh, and then kind of breaks down different possibilities and scenarios that I believe are a little bit... Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, assumptions <laughs> along the way. Um, so I kind of want to hear what you, uh, without getting too deep into it, you know, kind of what are your thoughts on this? This makes me laugh. We, we've talked about this before, but here's an article written by somebody that doesn't understand the industry. And I guarantee you, Jake, he wrote it on a computer where the plastics came from oil and gas. And I guarantee he drove his car there. Um, so our energy mix from the beginning of time has changed, right? So the human's first energy source was biofuels, right? We burn wood. And you fast forward now and that mix has changed depending on how developed the nation, the country is and where you are in the world and what point in time you're talking about. And that will that trend, that's not a trend, that's a, a path and that's gonna continue. Our energy mix will continue to change. Um, renewable energy in the right situation is fantastic. You know, um, you know, we've talked about some of the shortcomings. The biggest thing is storage, right? We need to figure that one out. We need better battery technology. But it doesn't change the fact that hydrocarbons are vital to our world's population, especially if you want to pull a population out of an agrarian society type where you basically farm just enough to keep feed your family and bring them up to modern Western type of um, of uh, um, uh, cities and, and uh, culture, that type of stuff. You can't do it without hydrocarbons. So much of what we use every day is made from hydrocarbons. Um, and the the fact that we're using less oil and gas for fuel here and in Europe is actually a good thing, right? We're bringing other things online. But Jake, you and I both came from the military. Can you see somebody operating a solar-powered helicopter? No. <laughs> no, because it, it's, it's, it's not going to happen, right? You, you think that an, an M1 Abrams tank will be able to be recharged and be able to go into battle? No. Um, and, but there's a reason for that. So there different energy sources have their needs in different places. And this guy that wrote this article has no idea 
of the oil and gas industry. And he makes some really, really bad, really bad assumptions um, and not understand the basic material science behind stuff. It is really funny. Um, I do like the fact that he talks about how um, the politicians in the world are in the pockets of the oil and gas industry. <laughs> I think it's the opposite, actually. Um, you know, we struggle with the politicians. You know, here, this article is something our industry have to struggle, you know, to, to gotta get the truth out. But I think it's really cool when he talks about how the fossil fuel industry is going to fail and that it's going to create such economic turmoil that's even bigger than the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I just don't think so. Yeah, we had to debunk a few things. So go read yeah. the article for yourself. Make your own assumptions. But, you know, that's kind of our, our spark notes, uh, kind of just debunking something that we believe is slightly biased. Um, yeah, so slightly we, have to, we, biased. Have to, we have to go through at least one of those a week if we can find them. Uh, and last but not least. What do you mean if we can find them? We can't get away <laughs> from them. Yeah, they seem to find us. Uh, lastly, let's talk about my favorite topic ever. I actually just ran across this from EP Mag, um, just talking about oil and gas data analytics. Uh, let's start off with the, with the two main statistics, and then we'll kind of get into the major takeaways, and then I kind of have my own thoughts uh, on this. So, in 2016, Accenture and Microsoft oil and gas trends survey. Uh, they surveyed two thirds of oil and gas professionals that said that analytics is the most important, one of the most important capabilities for transforming their company. Although only 13% of them said that their organization has fully mature analytics capabilities. Hmm. That's very interesting. Uh, next, uh, so the, the next stat is International Data Corp's recent predictions claim that by 2020, 80% of large oil and gas companies will run their business with help from a cognitive slash artificial intelligence agent capable of learning, reasoning, and solving complex problems. So let's keep that in mind. We'll circle back around to that. Um, so their major, their major five takeaways without getting like too granular is focused on business outcomes, not data. So this is in regards to like just oil and gas data analytics projects within companies. Uh, number two, have a big vision, but focus on quick wins. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, who, when, and how data will be acted upon. That's pretty important. Uh, four, I want to just underline this one, replace silos with translators and collaboration. Extremely vital. We'll come back to that. Uh, and then five, take a scientific approach to data science. Um, so now that we've gone through those, let's, let's kind of circle back around to the, the very first stat. Uh, I would hundred percent agree that everybody has identified that analytics is extremely important, especially through my experience talking to just tons and tons of EMPs, especially on the, on the upstream side. Um, but this is not just specifically upstream. This is midstream and downstream. Um, and I would 100% agree the way that 13% of the organizations are actually fully mature. That actually might be even be on the high side. Um, yeah, I think that's on the high side, actually. I, it's, yeah. um, but what's cool about that stat, Jake, is the delta It means opportunity. If 80% of the large oil and gas companies say that they need a big data analytics, but only 13% are, said they are doing it properly, that, that dat, um, delta between those two numbers is just opportunity for tech companies. Exactly. And so the, but here, here's the one that I do want to dispute though, by 2020 saying 80% of the large oil and gas companies will run their businesses with help from cognitive and artificial intelligence capable of learning, reasoning and solving complex problems. That's three years. That's three years. And from now. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't see that either. I mean, Siri's gotten really good. I just can't see Chevron letting Siri loose. Yeah. Or Alexa or what's the Microsoft one? Cortana. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and that's something with Wellhub eventually that we're going to get into with the deep learning and the uh, artificial intelligence. But it's so far down the road because the problem that you have to solve, if you go down to number 
four, the little takeaway is replace silos with translators and collaboration. So the biggest problem is you see all these tech companies popping up in the space saying, oh, we're going to do AI for oil and gas. We're going to do deep learning for oil and gas. That's fantastic in theory, but in execution, it's almost impossible because there's so many different yeah. silos of information and there's no centralized database. There's no way that they can actually, that's the reason that they don't have mature analytics capabilities is because of that problem. So until you can solve that problem, you can go ahead and forget AI. You can forget deep learning. You can forget all of that. Yeah, and so what you're actually talking about is a cultural thing. Now, you and I have talked about this before off the mic, maybe even talked about it on the show, but our industry doesn't like change, and that includes everything you do, including where is the data sitting. And you're right, in our industry, everything is siloed. Literally, everything is siloed. The efficiencies that you could drive just by having the guys that build the well talk to the guys that decommission the well is huge. And so that's a cultural thing. We've always done it this way, or that data has always been in Excel, or we've always used this tool. We don't want to change that. But you know what, Jake? It will change. It will change quicker than normal because of all the young people that are coming to our industry and see all these different opportunities, and, and they, they're going to make the change. But yeah, I think that 2020 date, that's unrealistic. The other thing is because of what we do, we can't make a mistake. So there's going to be a lot of testing. There's going to be a lot of trial and error, especially looking at things at cognitive. It, it's absolutely coming. It's, it's already in the geospace now. Um, but when you're able to actually get that into the actual drilling space where the, the machine is running the drill, the machine knows where that drill bit is, the machine knows where the pay zone is, the machine understands the reservoir characteristics, that's going to be really cool. And the other thing that happens is all of a sudden you made our industry even safer, right? Because there's less and less people involved. That's coming, and it's, and it's coming quickly. Um, but it is really cool to think about the potential of companies actually doing this. Because the first oil and gas company that gets this right, they're going to be so much more efficient than their competitors that their competitors are not going to have a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're going to have to jump on there. So as soon as the first domino falls, the rest of them will too. Yeah, don't get me wrong. This is definitely the future. There's just so many problems that have to be solved before this is actually realistic. And I think 2020 is, uh, it's a little too soon. Um, but who knows? I mean, uh, we, we, we could get there, but I just don't see that happening. Yeah, and the, the other thing is data science in oil and gas is still in its infancy. Um, it, we're still trying to figure that stuff out. We're still in the and, first and, inning. Yeah, and, and so you'll have, especially vendors, you'll have vendors tell you they understand this and they have it figured out in oil and gas. It's not true. We haven't figured it out yet. All of these new technologies, the big data analytics, the Internet of Things, cognitive, machine learning, we're all, the whole industry is looking at that with a total fascination, and they have a checkbook in their hand, and they're ready to write the check, but nobody's figured it out completely. And there's a bunch of cool companies that we talk to all the time that have parts and pieces of this. So um, interesting stuff. This is something that we've been waiting for. I, me personally, I've been waiting for 20 years for this to happen. <laughs> you know, it, it still confounds me to this day that I will go see a major, super major. I mean, that's a, can't say that. I will go go visit a super major and they'll show me this large expensive capex offshore project and jake it's in an excel spreadsheet with 72 tabs yep that's just crazy right but it's real it's, it's what we're dealing with and until it makes sense to quit using that 72 tab excel spreadsheet and put that data in something that is uh, allows access to all these different tools out there you're right it's not gonna change and i i agree with you it's it's not gonna get here as quick as they say it is no way but it is coming you know speaking of this um and I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but you and I were lucky enough. We actually got a tour of, of Accenture's Innovation Center here in Houston. Actually, yeah. all the podcasts did. And they're doing some really cool stuff there. Um, 
And same way with Microsoft. I actually interviewed uh, one of their people for the Data Driven Production Conference, and Microsoft's heavily invested in this too. So when you have companies the size of Accenture and Microsoft seeing that there's a lot of sales pro uh, possibilities, you know, a lot of revenue generation from bringing these type of new technologies to oil and gas, you know it's happening. Yeah, that's, that's clear validation. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, hopefully you enjoyed the stories. Uh, not quite as much as we normally have, but, you know, the world's a little slow this week. So let's go ahead and move on to our uh, Red Wing Bag Wing of the Week. Yeah. So congratulations, Kevin Bessie with Anadarko Petroleum Corporation. He's a supply chain guy. Kevin, you've won this awesome Red Wing Offshore Bag. Your coworkers are going to be jealous when you walk in the office. Um, it, so, you know, congratulations. If you would like to win your own offshore bag and make your coworkers jealous, it's really easy to do. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. You simply go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Enter your information and we draw one, or we don't do it, but Red Wing draws one lucky winner a week. And the weekly rig count, guess what? 1,010, up 2% from the previous week. We've actually officially broken the 1,000 rig, I guess, little milestone. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, 1,400. I called this last year. People told me I was crazy. Let's wait and see. But that's awesome. That's the trend we want to see, slow, steady growth. Good stuff. Uh, speaking of slow, steady growth, uh, we have some events on deck. So we have the fifth annual uh, cybersecurity for oil and gas. Speaking of technology, Jace. Um, so uh, this is a whole whole conference around cybersecurity and the oil and gas industry. It's... um. Well, when is it, Jake? It's, it's June 27th to 28th. It's here in Houston. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, Cybersecurity is coming bigger and bigger and bigger because the doors for the bad guys are increasing exponentially. Yep. With all these new technologies and all the new IP traffic controlling, you know, all the process controls, it's just more places for bad guys to, to get in. And what's cool is this used to be something that only the CIO and the CSO would worry about. Now the business is worried about cybersecurity. So go check this conference out. Then... We have on uh, June 27th, 28th, and 29th here in Houston, we have the Production Chemicals Optimization. So if you're in that production world, especially in unconventionals and a shell play and you use a lot of uh, production chemicals, here's a conference just for you. There's a lot of really good speakers at this one. Um, if you would like to learn about these events ahead of time and more, go check out my monthly email events newsletter. We take all the oil and gas events that are worth adorning. We put it in one newsletter, we put it in your inbox for free once a month, and then we often include events that nobody knows about because these companies reach out to me and go, hey, we're having this private event. Can we get your audience to participate? And sometimes I even give away free tickets to stuff. So go sign up for the newsletter. Uh, a lot of people tell me it's super valuable. Um, I actually built it because I couldn't find anything when I started at Little Point where I could find everything <laughs> in one place. It's like, I just make it myself. So that's that. Uh, we have first Friday Q&A getting close. If you want to submit a question, it's really easy. Just go to allinggassthisweek.com, uh, click on ask a question. Uh, if we use your question in the show, we'll give you a big shout out. I actually have a couple sitting in my inbox now, Jake, so yep. we're getting some really good questions. And then can you do us a favor? Can you leave us a review on iTunes? If we can get five new reviews by next week, I will not ask you to leave a review deal audience I'm, I'm putting it out there five people give us a review and i'll shut up about the reviews um do we have any new reviews jake uh i haven't checked late we'll, we'll talk about it on the next episode okay cool and then if you like this podcast and why would you not like this podcast we have two others we have the oil and gas hs and e podcast and oil and gas industry leaders uh, both great shows we have more podcasts in the works coming up um the other podcasts are easy to find just google them you'll find them they also have their own websites um 
also, if you like this podcast and you haven't joined our LinkedIn group, go sign up for LinkedIn group. It's like the, the companion to all of the podcasts. It's where we're going to announce stuff second that we do, like our 200th episode live event. Um, if you want to know where we're going to announce stuff first, go to our website, oilandgasthisweek.com. Give us your email address. We will not spam you, but that's the people that are going to learn about stuff first. And then the LinkedIn group is where people learn about things second. So this has been a bit of a short show just because we had a week without much oil and gas news, which almost never happens. Um, but if you can, if you like the show, share it. You know, Do that all-company email thing and just put a link to the show in there. <laughs> we would appreciate that. Take a picture if you do that. We'll, we'll give you something for it. Uh, I guess that's about it. Jake, is there anything else we need to talk about? That's it, man. All right. So people, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.